text for the sermon is taken from the gospel and Jesus spake unto his disciples saying this is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost amen we're going to be continuing our study of participation as always and uh, deification throughout the summer uh, and uh, the fall and hopefully we will uh, come to see uh, how we may regularly and intentionally appropriate the realities of, uh, of uh, the sacraments and of deification and participation. And by appropriation, I mean uh, that we intentionally, intelligently, reasonably take hold of those realities. Uh, taking uh, is uh, the personal act uh, that actualizes God's reality, which is the only really real reality there is after all. Uh, but it's the way we actualize that for ourselves, our family, our parents, and the world. All of the sacraments either outright direct you to take or presuppose you taking. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ given for thee, take and eat. I take thee for my wedded wife. The only sacrament that doesn't presuppose you're taking uh, is holy baptism, uh, and that is because that sacrament uh, bestows upon us the ability uh, to act intelligently, reasonably, responsibly as a Christian with Christian understanding and a Christian worldview. What I want to do today is to focus on the Bible, on Scripture. And so this sermon is not, going, it's not about Barnabas, uh, nor is it about the rich man and Dives, which is the text given for Trinity 1. But it's about the source of those stories because the source is all important and our understanding of the source is all uh, important. Uh, for the next 25 Sundays, Father Sean and I will be preaching. Uh, that is up until Advent uh, from the gospel lessons and from uh, the epistles. There are uh, 25 Sundays. 12 of those Sundays are taken from the gospel of Luke. 13 remaining are from Matthew, Mark, and John. And then we have the epistles that are spread out through that. Um, there's a unity that I want you to see in the Gospels and in the epistles. All these texts revolve around the central figure of Jesus Christ. He's either presenting a teaching to his audience or he himself is a protagonist uh, in an eyewitness recollection. Frequently, those two uh, are, are combined. Uh, that's in the Gospels, in the Epistles, Acts of the Apostles, uh, which is actually what we have given for an epistle today. And then in the Revelation, we have the story of uh, the church's response to the love of Jesus. In the Gospels, we have the story of Jesus. Uh, and in the Epistles, we have a, uh, the church's response to uh, the love of our Lord. What I want you to see is that the, uh, in the New Testament there is a unity uh, and I want you to see its place in our community and I want to say something about the doctrine of inspiration. Through the grace of God uh, we all uh, are participating in the life of God uh, and that is because our individual life stories have become part of God's life story which is a big part of the gospel. Are y'all with me? You are. Okay. As you know, the gospel for Luke 
uh, and uh, is one of four Gospels or 27 books in the New Testament. As we read, mark, learn, and digest the varying accounts of Jesus' life and the teachings of the Gospel, it's obvious that the evangelists who wrote these Gospels had some process by which they selected material for their text. Each writer had some process by which he selected the materials that went into that text. In some cases, they recount the same event, but not in all of them. In many of these cases, uh, uh, events of one gospel are excluded from the other, uh, and uh, they, in, they're excluded uh, uh, either by design because the particular story didn't fit in with what they wanted to do with, their, with that gospel, or they may just not have been aware of those. Uh, because at this time, there wasn't a New Testament. There were books, there were epistles and letters that were floating around uh, the church uh, all over the place, but not been brought together uh, into, into a text, into a book at this time. So we have these narratives uh, that are kind of one-offs. For example, a story uh, before us today about the rich man, rich man and Lazarus uh, is only in Luke's gospel. There's not a hint of it anywhere else. But Luke wanted that, that story, that narrative in there uh, because it played a part in the larger narrative that he wanted to get across. The same is the case for the prodigal son and the story of uh, the Pharisee uh, and Lazarus. These stories uh, are, and, and of all things, in the Gospel of John, the institution of the Blessed Sacrament is completely left out. What we have focused on in John is in uh, the upper room and the foot washing. Uh, of the uh, disciples so uh, so in, in uh, each text in the New Testament has meaning and together all 27 books make up a whole just as the body is, uh, has many members and yet there's the members are uh, one body so the New Testament is a body of work with many members today we still refer to a writer's corpus or body of work uh, meaning the collection of that person's text we naturally expect a writer's body of work to be identifiable by his uh, to be uh, identifiable as his work by such marks marks as style, content, and interest. And if you read John and you read the little Johns, John one, two, and three, and you read even the Revelation, as different as that is from everything else, you will find stylistic similarities strikingly so and then also concerns throughout all of those texts this is true for the whole uh, whole new testament so the new testament uh, uh, as a body of text think of the new testament as a body think of the new testament as a library uh, in a manner of speaking that belongs to the church whose whole purpose is to reveal the life story of jesus christ and his church's response to that love the life story of Jesus, which is a story of love, and then the church's response in the epistles, the Acts, the Revelation to that, uh, to our Lord's uh, uh, life before us. Now, The New Testament is dedicated to a subject, one subject, one overriding subject, and that's the life of our Lord and our response to the life of our Lord. Uh, uh, 
it, but, but it's more than a set of books dedicated to a subject. It's not like you go into a library, find a bunch of books on whaling in America uh, or something or a story of Abraham Lincoln. Why? Because the New Testament is a library dedicated and devoted to the life story of Jesus Christ uh, is a life story, therefore a library dedicated to the life story of God Almighty. And the church's response to that love that has been shed abroad in our hearts. So even though this library is dedicated to the God's life story, now listen to what I'm saying. Are y'all still listening? Okay. Who said that? Thank you. Whoever said that, one of you did here. Thank you. Um, I cannot read the New Testament uh, without feeling uh, uplifted. Uh, by it uh, as I said this is a story God's life story but as I read the New Testament my own life story uh, takes uh, upon itself ultimate significance uh, somehow uh, my life story being included in God's life story elevates me and bestows purpose and meaning to me in an objective manner it isn't just simply my personal opinion about the thing, but because it is God Almighty's life story, Jesus' life story, and he's included my life in it, then my life has ultimate meaning and purpose and significance. And so does yours, so does every other human being. That's one thing. But also when you're reading a text, and you know this, uh, it's almost as though that text begins to read you. Uh, one feels deeply, uh, too, that as a Christian, that nothing is so important as pursuing the right interpretation of the text, the church's understanding of the New Testament. And frequently, or at least occasionally, as we pursue the meaning of these texts, we have a sense that in a way we're being pursued ourselves. Is that not true? In your own life, as you read these texts, they begin to read you. As I try to interpret these texts, they begin to interpret me. Individually, we are interpreted as parishioners individually and collectively as a parish. In this manner, we are called to live up to the text of the New Testament. Now, before the New Testament... the church had already been busy with her missions. Uh, she, had already, she was already the custodian of God's truth and reality in Jesus Christ, and the church was already equipped to bring the world to Jesus and to guide her children to the finality of their life. What came uh, before the narrative of the New Testament that enabled the church to carry out her mission? That's a question I'm asking. It's a rhetorical question. What came before the text of the New Testament itself? That which was before the New Testament is that with which it would, uh, we would have a New Testament. First of all, there are two things I want to point out. First of all, the life of the incarnate word of the Father, Jesus Christ, came before the text, obviously. As we already know, the New Testament in whole and in part is all about the life of Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father. And when we experience the power, the life, and the love in the New Testament of Jesus Christ, it is the power, the life, and the love of Christ 
that we experience, and it is the very power, life, and love of Christ that the first generation church experiences as well. Secondly, the Holy Spirit came before the narratives. Even before the first epistle or gospel was written to the very first troubled parish, the church was already worshiping God the Father through God the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit that was poured out upon the church on the Feast of Pentecost. The uh, Holy Communion was already being celebrated every day of the week in the life of Holy Mother Church. And she was already bestowing all of the other sacraments upon her children in Jerusalem's first generation church. The very same sacraments that she is bestowing upon us, her children today. And in the fullness of time, the Holy Spirit inspired apostles and their uh, the ones that the apostles had mentored uh, in a way very similar to how the, he inspired King David. He refreshed their memories. Uh, and then without, listen to what I'm saying, without doing violence to the writer, without turning the evangelist into a stenographer, the Holy Spirit moved proveniently upon the eyewitnesses so that the composed texts of the New Testament were authentically the word of the apostle and at the same time authentically the very word of God. That is a Christian point of view. That is a church's understanding of inspiration. Uh, very different, radically different from, for example, an Islamic uh, understanding of the inspiration of their text, which is that uh, the writer was a stenographer. There was no personality of the man involved with it. That's totally different from our uh, understanding of this. That our understanding of the inspiration of Holy Scripture is that the humanity, the personal experience, the education, the talent, the voice of the apostle, all that enables a writer to be a writer is used by God to render our inspired text. It's the word of God. And it is truly the word of man. Again, as I have said a million times before, this is an example uh, that uh, grace does not destroy nature, but grace perfects nature. Now having looked at what came before, quickly I want to look at what came after uh, the New Testament. Obviously, the action by which the church intentionally collected the different books into a corpus of its own that we know as the New Testament came later. In fact, it came a lot later. Uh, the, uh, the assembly of the New Testament was a long process of discrimination by which some texts were determined to be truly scripture and other texts were determined to be useful but not scripture. And we believe that the Bible is inspired word of God, right? Absolutely, the New Testament is the word of God written. The problem is, nowhere in the New Testament do we have a list of the books that belong in the New Testament. So what do we, what do we have? We have to go to a higher authority outside of the New Testament or another authority outside of the New Testament, and that authority is Holy Mother Church uh, in council. Guided by the Holy Spirit, selecting these specific books uh, that are part of, uh, declared to be part of Holy Scripture. That process is what we know as tradition, holy tradition. And so we have two equal things there. Uh, furthermore, uh, we also believe 
uh, we believe in holy tradition is in seven ecumenical councils. We believe in its dogmatic definitions, the authority and the accuracy that uh, uh, states the truth of revelation that's contained in scripture. That is the, the councils do that. We believe that the councils accurately express that uh, truth to us. One other point I want to make is one uh, is this too. Uh, the scriptures do not provide an interpretation uh, for themselves, right? I mean, John didn't give footnotes where he said, oh, and by Lagos, I meant blah, blah, blah. I mean, that doesn't, we just don't have that sort of thing. So once again, just like the selection of the books, we have to have something outside of the New Testament that is authoritative sufficiently to give us the right interpretation. I'll give you one guess what that authority is. What do you think? Holy Mother Church. The church has that authority. And so it is the church's understanding of Scripture that I care about. Uh, it is the church's understanding uh, of the New Testament and the Old Testament that most sways our life. Uh, as a foundation of ultimate truth and as well as a witness and guardian of Scripture, even in her salad days, the church assembled this library for her children. Uh, the New Testament is meant for the church, and the church is committed to the New Testament because of its apostolic origins. And because of its apostolic origin, the New Testament is authoritative for Jesus' disciples, ancient and modern. And we are called individually and as a community to live up to that text. Not even a hundred words left, okay? No cheering, please. Finally, the New Testament of its own voice, from its own standpoint, does not claim to be new. Nope, it does not. Not in the sense of being dropped down uh, from heaven like Venus on the half shell or something. No, the New Testament, in fact, possesses a profound sense of historical consciousness from the very beginning. Matthew 1.1, the book of, geneolo of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. Uh, it's very clear that the church never understood herself apart from Israel, but as fulfilling and completing Israel. So these are wonderful mysterious, life-changing narratives that are gifted to us by God. And that is why we dedicate part of every Sunday of the year to reading this book uh, together. And as we read the book, we discover again and again and again, fresh as ever, that your life story, my life story, our families, every person's life story in the world is a true love story because God has come here and become one of us, and including, including all of our stories in his eternal, everlasting story. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.